Hey, funky listeners, guess what you're listening to? It's Funk Radio. The podcast with all your favorite Funky Jams. And your favorite Funky DJs. Peter. And Kyle. So I just realized, okay, so I, I know we've talked about it on the show before our, our past monikers, uh, when we had Funk Radio at our local college station, we had our oh, yeah. DJ names, and yours was... Uh, DJ Funky Love. Thank you. And mine was DJ Funky Thunder. I just realized that, like, Funky Thunder can be like a, uh, uh, what's the word? A euphemism for farts. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little too well-fitting. Yeah. (sighs) Funky Thunder would also be a pretty cool band name. That would be. Like, it could be like, Farty, Farty McFeely and the Funky Thunder or something. I don't know. Farty McFly. <laughs> I just imagine an entire parody of Back to the Future, where whenever any of the other main characters talks to him, he just farts. I'm pretty sure we need to like over find the movie and overdub it with every one of his lines as just a fart noise. Well, oh my god, um, I'm dying. I'll let you do that as a solo project. Yeah, that, that's that'll be my passion project. You can. Uh... Start a Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickfarter. <laughs> well, first you start a Kickstarter to start Kickfarter. <laughs> I just imagine the pitch on Kickstarter. So I want to start my own site, like Kickstarter, except instead you fund my farts. <laughs> this is the absolute worst way to start a podcast I know. in the history of ever. It really is. Oh, man. Welcome to Black History Month. Yeah, really. So, <laughs> listeners, this is the fourth, I believe. Yes. None of us are good at math, but I believe this is the fourth in our series of Black History Month episodes. I think we've been having a good, pretty good time doing this. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I think both of us have certainly learned a lot. Yeah. We hope you listeners have as well. Our for, If you haven't listened to our prior episodes, the first two episodes, we kind of talked about Martin Luther King Day in both its inception and... I guess, detraction. Uh, certain people, you know, were not happy with it. Uh, in our third episode, yeah. we talked about Rosa Parks and her bus boycott. And I guess for this fourth episode, we're finally actually getting around to talking about a soul artist. <laughs> Probably one of the most famous artists uh, ever, to, I guess, in that genre is Mr. James Brown. The Yay. godfather of soul. And funk. Now, is his moniker, was his moniker first the godfather of soul or the godfather of funk? Was he both? I, th- I think he has been called both, but I kind of like it's kind of like the chicken and egg, which came first. I think Godfather of Soul is the main one. Yeah, I think you're right. I think because he they didn't really even coin the term funk until like the late '60s. Because I yeah, I'm looking up really quick. Godfather of Soul seems to be the one that is used. Gotcha. But yeah, he's pretty much the Godfather of Funk as well. I can dig it. We found a very interesting uh song that he has done that fits very well into Black History Month and actually kind of ties a little bit into the uh, I guess civil rights movement and that mm-hmm. is the song uh, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud now I don't know yeah. if we've talked about this specific song on the show before, I know we've talked about James Brown ad nauseum um, but this this particular yeah. song, I don't know I, I dig this song a lot, it's probably one of my favorite James Brown songs and little did I know it was actually so influential yeah, I didn't even know that either. It's, uh, there's some kind of interesting background about this song. Um, I do not think that we've discussed this one 
on the show. I don't think so either. I know we've done like Pop's Got a Brand New Bag, Rolling Stone, all that, all that jazz. But uh, yeah, I think this is new. Um, which is funny because I know we talked about the uh, biopic that they had uh, about him a, a while ago. That was oh yeah, get, get on up or whatever. I forgot about that. I never and, saw it. Oh, dude, you got to see it. It's it's got to be on DVD by now. You could probably rent it. I love DVD. Yeah. Well, as we were just discussing, apparently Netflix still has DVDs, so you can get it from them. Yeah, yeah. It was it was funny. Um, I was browsing Netflix and I saw at the top of the Netflix page, it's a little button that says DVD. I'm like DVD, so I clicked on it. And What's apparently, that? Yeah, exactly. What is this foreign format? Uh, and apparently, they still have the mail-in DVD system that they've had forever. I just kind of thought in the back of my head, it's been so long that they kind of just phased that out, you know? Because when anybody thinks of Netflix, they think of streaming now. I remember when they first started, it was all about the DVD mail-in thing because they were competing with Blockbuster um, at the time. But then I remember Redbox came around and that kind of became the go-to for DVDs, but now I guess even they're kind of hurting. Uh, Their sales are down too. I think you're you're just slowly seeing DVDs kind of and even Blu-ray really kind of phased out, phasing yeah. out slowly. If people want to buy a Blu-ray, that's one thing, but the idea of like quote renting movies anymore is is slowly kind of dying. I mean, Blockbuster yeah. has been dead forever, which is sad. When I was a kid, I loved going to Blockbuster and like browsing the movie sections and picking out a movie for the week. I don't know. That was always like a a big family thing for us. So many VHS tapes. Yeah, exactly. Although I remember, because I would rent games from them too, ever since, God, ever since I had like a Super Nintendo, mm. I would rent games from them. And I just remember their game rental prices just kept going up and up and up. And towards the end, to rent a game for like a week, it was like 10 or $11. And this was back in like 2007. Mm. And I'm just like, okay, so I pay for a game for a week, or I could literally pay like five times more and have it forever. <laughs> <laughs> seems kind of silly so I, I don't even know if they rent games I know they have that thing Gamefly but I don't know anyone who uh, does yeah. that most people just either buy them on Steam because they're so horribly discounted now or you know if they have a console I guess they get them on like Amazon or Target or whatever but yeah, yeah. Rent, renting games I think is even more kind of dead than renting movies I've never known anyone who's done that renting games? And yeah well I don't think so. Yeah, when I was a at kid. least not in like a long ass time. Yeah, I yeah, remember. yeah. I mean, honestly, I I haven't rented a game since mid mid high school. I think I think even by the end of high school, it was kind of phased out. Where I was like, that's overpriced. But when I was a kid, I had Super Nintendo and sixty four, all that stuff. I would rent the games all the time. I remember. I, that's true. <laughs> I remember I rented. You'll like this. I rented a a basketball game that was Looney Tunes based. I think it was somehow loosely based on Space Jam. But it was basically just like an NBA game that you played with the Looney Tunes. <laughs> and it was for like Super Nintendo. And it was the stupidest game ever. But I rented it for like a week. I'm like, this is awesome. Because I was like seven. Now I have to look this up really quick. <laughs> now I don't know if this game was before or after Space Jam. Because Space Jam was what, 97? 96? Uh, something. Was it Looney Tunes B-Ball? Yes, I think so. Is it Super Nintendo? Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds familiar. That's funny. And it, that came out in 95. Okay, so yeah, it was before Space Jam. See, I bet Space Jam was influenced by that game. If it was, that would be That would be hilarious. really funny. Yeah, right? 
Uh, I also love that it's been 10 minutes and we've barely talked anything about the, Yeah, we really need to our, get back on topic. About our actual topic, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know how we got onto Looney Tunes basketball. Because it's funk radio, but that's, where, tang- that's... where tangents are the norm and everything is upside down. <laughs> the magic of funk radio. Exactly. All right, so let's talk about this song. Let's talk about funk. Um, so yeah, for, for this song, I'm Black and I'm Proud by James Brown. He wrote the song in, I want to say, 68. Yep, 1968. And it was, it was, it was intended as a song to inspire, obviously, Black Pride, uh, as Brown was kind of a leader in the black community, and he wanted to encourage people to stand up for their rights. Again, this was in the tumultuous 1960s, you know, 68. I don't know if this was before or after King was assassinated, but it was around that, it was in that year, um... I know the Civil Rights Act of 68 was passed, the Voting Rights Act of 64 was passed just four years prior, all this tumultuous stuff going on. You got Malcolm X. Um, yes? Sorry, I was going to say um, MLK was assassinated on April 4th. Yep. And this came out in August. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, in, in, in that respect, it could easily have been a response to the anger that people felt at the assassination he meant for the song to kind of inspire the people, I guess, and get them to kind of keep keep the fight going, if that makes any sense. Now, you mentioned that it was about people being upset or mad about all the things going on. But James Brown actually was you know, pretty big on, you know, telling people this is not an angry song because it kind of turned into I don't know if controversy is the right word, but it definitely uh, he lost a lot of his fan base because of this song because they saw it as like an angry black song for lack of a better term yeah yeah i yeah i don't think he intended it to be a song that was in itself angry but was responding to people's anger with an uplifting message if that makes sense yeah and you know it it wasn't going to be completely positive you know because a lot of messed up shit is going on so you're not gonna be completely positive about that um but at the same time you know he wasn't you know being angry and like threatening to kill people or anything you know yeah throughout like the mid to late 60s james brown was releasing a lot of hits and he was really popular with both black and white audiences mm-hmm. um you know which was great for him and everything but the problem was that when he released this song it upset basically his entire white half of his audience mm-hmm. and they you know he, he lost them because of this song and you know like i said a minute ago this wasn't an angry song or you know suggesting any kind of violence or anything but a lot of pe- a lot of white people saw it that way and the so they said well screw it which really sucks too because especially for then it was always kind of a struggle for for black musicians to not be categorized as quote-unquote black music and to kind of achieve that crossover of both black and white audiences mm it's kind of a shame that he was able to do that really successfully, but then it kind of reversed itself. It all went south. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's even sadder because that was never his intent. He's never, he he never said like, Oh, screw white people. It was just meant to be uplifting for the black community. But then somehow the white community took it as offensive because I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I'm just, I don't know what, what what they expected him to do. Like go up there and say, I'm white and I'm proud. That would be a terrible song. Yeah, that would probably get you, like, some hate mail. And we have enough hate mail on Funk Radio as it is. This is true. Yeah. Well, our version of hate mail is that people just don't listen. Today someone sent me a package of uh, a white powder. I thought it was cocaine, so I snorted it. 
Probably shouldn't have done that. But it was flour. But it was flour. You actually sent me a pretty interesting interview, Kyle. Yeah. So this was back in 1999. Uh, I guess Alan Paul was interviewing James Brown for Guitar World. And 1999 being the 30th anniversary of 1969, which Guitar World was claiming as the greatest year in rock. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, I found James Brown from from his own words. You know, I wanted to read a bit of a quote from him from that interview regarding his intent for the song and kind of mm-hmm. how it was misconstrued. Um, so bear with me, listeners. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here. Brown says that anyone who viewed the song as an angry anthem was way off base. Quote, I was trying to do two things. One, give the power structure, which in America means the white power structure, a way to understand how we felt and know that we had people who could do things and just wanted a fair shake. Two, I wanted young black kids to wake up and realize they should be proud of who they are, get an education, and try to make something of themselves. Proud and bad are two different things. I never wanted to separate. My thing was to let the pride be there and to let people get into the skin of a black man and realize that he only wants to be recognized for the contributions that he has made. He continues to say, I was just telling it like it is. Would you rather have someone tell you how they're feeling to your face or wait till you turn around and whisper their anger behind your back? You got to swing for the fences every time you're at bat. You owe it to your children and grandchildren. That's what I was doing. I've always been about building, not destroying. I was there when Dr. King was assassinated, telling everyone to cool out, trying to remind everyone that you don't want to destroy your country. You want to build it. Yay. So that was a yeah. lot of talking. But Yeah, that, that kind of hits home. What we were saying before is that he didn't intend the song to be angry. He intended it to be a song to build people up, not to bring anyone down. You know, I, I think at the heart of, I would maybe not all, but most protest songs, you know, on the surface, it's like, you know, we got to bring down the man mm-hmm. or something. But I think in the, at the end of the day, protest songs and um, empowerment songs are, you know, the Venn diagram between those two is mostly overlapped. True. And, I love Venn diagrams. Yeah. So now you listeners have a little bit of a visual there. Mm-hmm. Is it time to play a little clip, or should we? Yeah, there's been a lot of talking. Why don't we play a clip? So regarding the uh, that chorus, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, he actually brought in local uh children from the la area to kind of respond and say i'm black and i'm proud in his chorus to and that kind of reiterates the idea of wanting to inspire the children uh inspire black kids to be proud of their race and their heritage Mm -hmm. um but this but more interesting this this call and response style was kind of uh one of the first times he did that where he would say something like, you know, get on up or say it loud or whatever. Um, and there would be a response refrain. And that kind of structural fixture ended up becoming a really big inspiration for funk in general. Now, who was it him? Was it Soulfinger? Is that the name of that song? Yeah, the Barkays. Also- oh, yeah, Barkays who did that. Because that was with children. Yeah, they like paid him with like Coca-Cola or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I don't know. I hope he paid them with money or coke 
not cocaine. Uh, well, it was James Brown, so he probably yeah, did it. I was going to say, like, hey kids, here's some cocaine. You want to sing a song? <laughs> That's terrible. But, um, yeah, it, it was cool that he, like, brought in local kids uh, to record the song. I thought that was kind of interesting. And actually, branching from that, kind of connecting this to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, I have a quote from him about that. Um, he says, People called black and proud, militant and angry, maybe because of the line about dying on your feet instead of living on your knees. But really, if you listen to it, it sounds like a children's song. That's why I had children in it, so children who heard it could grow up feeling pride. The song cost me a lot of my crossover audience. The racial makeup at my concerts was mostly black after that. I don't regret it, though, even if it was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And regarding what Peter just said, um, he's referencing one of the verses where James Brown says, quote, I guess I'll kind of go through the verse. Uh, now we demand a chance to do things for ourselves. We tired of beating our heads against the wall and working for someone else. Look here. One thing more I got to say right here. Now we're people like the birds and the bees. We'd rather die on our feet than keep living on our knees. And I think people kind of misconstrued that as like a militant call for action to like die for your cause, which yeah, I don't think he meant that. I think he meant, you know, the fact that they were being killed. They'd rather be killed and be proud of standing up for themselves, for and- themselves and their community than, you know, than to not be killed by being subservient to exactly. the white power. Um, and, you know, a lot, some of the other stuff you were reading from that as well, I think, is a lot more clearly of, um, you know, the theme of empowerment. Like, we got to, you know, stand up and do things ourselves. It's not like mm-hmm. our all of our problems are because of this other entity. It's also like we need to make something of ourselves as well. You know, we, we have a responsibility to do this. Yeah, and never intending it to be a violent protest song, I think all he was arguing was that, like, black people, like all people, should be judged for their contributions to their community and society and not by anything other than that, whether it be their skin color or any other reason. Right. It's like Martin Luther King said with the the whole content of your character thing. And having a dream. Yeah. I I saw a funny uh, a funny thing on Reddit. It was Martin Luther King holding a popsicle, and he said, "I have a dreamsicle." God, I love dreamsicles. Well, I'm glad that our whole <laughs> Black History Month series is, uh, <laughs> is coming around to that. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's. I guess I don't know if that's like a too soon kind of thing, but uh, well, it was quite a while ago. Yeah, true. I'm just looking through these lyrics here to. Try to figure out anything else. It seems like that refrain you read is repeated like two or three times. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. Um he says, I've worked on jobs with my hand my with my feet and my hands, but all the work I did was for the other man. And now we demands a chance to do things for ourselves. We tired of beating our heads against the wall and working for someone else. Mm-hmm. That's sort of similar to what you were reading. It's basically the idea of like black people helped build this country but they built it in service to the white power right? rather than, you know, building stuff to bring themselves up. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I so, found yeah. it. So it's kind of complete tangent from this. Um, I found it kind of funny that the first time that this song was released on an album, it was released on a soulful Christmas by James <laughs> Brown. <laughs> That's funny. Which I don't know. It seems 
like an odd choice for a Christmas album. Now, are we sure that this just doesn't happen to be showing that it's on a soulful Christmas? Because uh, mm. in that in that interview that we were talking about, it shows that he has an album called "Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud" that came out in '69, which I assume was the point of the interview. The, um, the single well, came out in '68, but "Soulful Christmas" came out in 1968. Oh, so okay, yeah, you were right. The same year out. as the song, and then in March of the next year came the album. Came the actual album of the same name so oh, i understand that's that's funny that is funny that, yeah because that, i'm looking through the track list of this christmas album and i think well for one thing two-thirds of the songs have the word santa claus in it <laughs> um but almost almost everything is a christmas song i, I don't know tip for tat ain't no taking back what that's a song apparently. what about what about tits but there's also a good picture of James Brown just at the Santa Claus. Nice. Well, it's like I said before. Pretty much every soul artist had some clause had a, had the Santa Claus in their contract that they had to make a Christmas album at some point in their career. Oh, jeez, terrible. So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah, if you, if you guys happen to stumble upon James Brown a soulful Christmas, you can hear the first time that that song was was on an album. Well, and also, if you want to, you know, ne- you know, this next year have a have your own Christmas party and have some music going, but you also want to, you know, mix in a little bit of black empowerment. This would be a good album. <laughs> that would be really awesome if, like, super super like cor- uh, corporate like Christmas party. You're playing that album, all the Christmas songs, and then that song comes on, and like your office is like nothing but like white people. Hmm. Oh god, that would be hilarious. Now he said that the children are the future. They are the future. Um who did the chorus. We said they were from the LA area. Uh specifically they were from they were about 30 young people from the Watts and Compton areas. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, hopefully the at least those 30 children. I was, was going to say I'm sure were inspired by James Brown. True. I'm sure a lot of those kids are still alive. It'd be interesting to interview some of them. We should find them. Well, we'll let you listeners find them and then bring them to us. Or if you're listening to <laughs> bring, this bring us podcast, the children. If you sang on this song 40 years ago, tell us on Facebook. Um, I don't think this song really did anything in terms of like this riot happened because of this song. No, it was, um, it was just more which is probably a good thing, actually. It was just more a kind of a, a call to action for people to be, you know, to not not let their anger cloud their judgment and instead help build America rather than bring, tear it down, you know? Mm, exactly. We have to make America great again, like Donald Trump says. God. Oh, boy. Well, I was about to say, before you said that, <laughs> see, you really screwed me up because you were talking about empowering everybody. I was like, well, that's what, that's what Black History Month is all about. I was going to, like, loop it back around and tie a nice bow on it, but... I did no, tie the bow. The bow of Donald Trump. That's the worst bow of all time. <laughs> could you could you tie his toupee into a bow? That would be amazing. <sighs> you know that song, you can tie it in a knot, you can tie it in a bow. I want that song, but like as that song is playing, someone to just tie his hair. Okay. I mean, you could try to be his campaign manager and then... <laughs> <laughs> I would do not that. want that job in a million years. Well, no, you can do it for like a day. Just make that video and then leave. 
<laughs> or just sneak in and be like, oh, Mr. Trump, I'm your hairdresser for the day. And he starts singing. <laughs> Terrible. Apparently this, I was looking at all like the references, because like, I guess a lot of hip-hop songs have used this. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess small tie-in that's not really significant, but rather interesting. This song was sampled in Fight the Power by Public Enemy, which we talked about last week. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Sorry. Uh, I just noticed here that the song is referenced in an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, inspired by Black Power protests, Will attempts to hold a protest, but he and Carlton are the only black people in the room. Because they came from an he, affluent family. But he he inspires Cornflake, a white fellow student, who stands up and shouts passionately, fight the power, Will, sing it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. To which Will replies... See, my man Cornflake's got the spirit. He's a little confused, but he's got the spirit. Terrible. I think it's... I don't know how bad it is that his white friend is named Cornflake. <laughs> like, that's like one step away from, like, his white friend Saltine. Well, listeners, we hope that to celebrate all types of people, that for breakfast each morning, you mix Cornflakes with Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> I was just going to say... Cocoa Rice Krispies. Yeah, see, I, see I, I always get the regular Rice Krispies and the Cocoa Rice Krispies and mix them together. Do you actually do that? Or are you joking? No. I, well, I know I have done that once, actually, because I think I got, I had some white ones left over, so uh-huh. I mixed it in with the black. Oh, speaking of which, a really funny story that actually has to do with that. Um, I'm kind of summarizing here because it was part of a stand-up routine by that Donald Glover guy. Oh yeah, that I like. He talked about how um, his mom, when he when he was a kid, wouldn't let him and his brother have really sugary cereal, and they were at the grocery store and they like begged her to like get like cocoa puffs or something. But this only cereal that she would let them have before that was that kick cereal, which, mm. as you know, by itself isn't really sweet at all. Um, yeah. So he's uh, he's like you know we find you know we we complained enough that we sh- we've, she finally gave in and got the box of Cocoa Puffs. But w- when we went home, basically she kept the uh, the cakes in one of those like kind of Tupperware cereal containers. Mm-hmm. And so she took the Cocoa Puffs and poured like just a tiny bit of them into the container with the cakes and shook it all up. <laughs> and terrible. so like, there you go, that's your sugary cereal. And I think, I think his, his, joke was like you know it looked like a kanye concert (laughs) um that's horrible uh, yeah that's 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 a total mom thing to do but yeah i thought it was a funny story now i want cocoa krispies i want i actually liked kicks as a kid i mean i would always put a little bit of sugar on them because they weren't Mm. really sweet by themselves but i liked kicks they had a good crunch to them did you ever mix kicks and tricks Ew, no. I never actually. I've never eaten tricks in my life. I swear to God, I've had tricks yogurt, but I've never eaten the cereal. I think I've had it a couple of times, but it's not. The I've point. had fruity. I've had fruity pebbles and Fruit Loops, but really, Fruit Loops were the only fruity cereal that I liked eating. Fruit Loops didn't taste like fruit at all. <laughs> fruit Loops are pretty great. Um, but I was never a fan of fruity pebbles, and I was never a fan of because fruity pebbles were basically just like f- f- colorful Rice Krispies. Yeah, I never ever had tricks. That's really sad. I, You're not really missing anything. I wouldn't recommend it. Most fruity cereal isn't really that good. I mean, Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks are kind of Apple Jacks are the shit, actually. Uh, Apple Jacks are the only two fruity cereals I ever ate. Other than that, it was you know regular cereal or Cocoa Puffs. I did like Alphabets a lot. 
but not the chocolate ones, the regular ones. Hmm. Which were basically just like alphabet-shaped Cheerios. Alphabet-shaped, <laughs> whatever. Um, this is Kyle's cereal corner. Is that your phone? Yeah, sorry. No, it's all good. How do you like your phone? It's, you can do a tech review if you want. <laughs> I don't really want to do a tech review, <laughs> but I like my phone. But you listeners don't get to know what it is. <laughs> don't call me. So, yeah, we covered cereal, we covered farts. <laughs> we covered Netflix. We covered civil rights. I mean, what else is there? Nothing really. I mean, that's the big four. Yeah, the big four of life. Cereal, <laughs> civil rights, farts, and Netflix. That's basically my life. <laughs> oh my god. It's mm. creepy how accurate that is. <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, if you learned something from our episodes this month, Tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. I mean, we hope you learned at least one or two things, if not a lot. But if, you know, there's something in particular that you found really interesting that you learned from the show, then let us know. We always like to hear feedback, even though we don't. We like the idea of hearing feedback from somebody someday. <laughs> Likewise, you can you could also tell us on, uh, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash getyourfunk. You can comment on the on this episode pretty easy if you have an account and you can also follow our podcast there as well uh a lot of people seem to be doing that we have 110 followers right now yay slowly growing so that's kind of where we are been doing things for the most part lately okay so yeah this has uh this has been your civil rights activist slash small time podcast host kyle i was gonna say this has been your black and proud host peter but i'm not black and proud so you're white and proud <laughs> i don't want to sign off the end of a black history month series saying i'm white and i'm proud it's the worst thing you could say pretty much um bye <laughs> <laughs>